Friends, here we are. This is week 10 of online church, of virtual meetings and work and everything, social distancing and all of the precautions that we've been taking. We've been in this for a while. And it has been hard on all of us for different reasons. We have never really experienced anything like this. Um, and we all had to adjust rather quickly without any uh, knowledge or notice or preparation. And we don't know how it's all going uh, to, to shake out as things start to reopen. We all have different opinions and all want different things from our leaders and from each other. So in this season, I just encourage you, let us maintain hearts that are set towards love of God and love of each other, no matter what. If we can do that, we can take each next step knowing that we are doing the best we can. We might mess up or say the wrong thing or lose it with our spouse or our kids or the worker at the store, but loving God and loving each other can and will always bring us back to what matters. Last week in this series, we heard Miriam's story from the book of Exodus. And today we'll hear Deborah's story. Both of these women lived during seasons of Israel's history that were wrought with war and oppression and devastation, famine. They were difficult times that called for courageous leadership in unwavering faith in God. Both of them led people who were not always willing to follow, not always willing to seek God's guidance, but each of them led anyways. They commanded the, the attention of those around them with humility, justice, strength, and integrity. Leadership is not always easy. It's not easy in simple times, and it's most definitely not easy in times of hardship. Joe and I, right now, we're watching the TV series Friday Night Lights. It's an older TV series um, that both of us binged years ago, but we restarted it this, uh, this last week. Um, it's a fun, lighthearted show that we both enjoy, although it's about football and neither of us care about football at all. Um, but it's a light, lighthearted show. Anyways, in every episode, uh, it follows a coach in the decisions that he has to make with this team. In every episode, I'm reminded that a leader, no matter if everybody likes the person or not, the leader always has opposition. There are always people, well-meaning, I'm sure, who want the, to tell the leader what to do or not to do, how to do their job, what's best from their perspective, but being a leader is filtering those voices, seeing the bigger picture, and making decisions not based on pleasing all of those people who told you their opinions, but making decisions based on what will be best long-term for the whole people, even if it means doing something hard in the meantime. I share all of that to say that we have a lot of leaders right now that are fielding a lot of opinions and threats and opposing views, and they are trying to make the best decisions they can with the information they have available for both the present and long-term for our communities. We might not agree with everything 100%, 
but we can do our part to support their, uh, the leaders and their decisions that we know are in difficult situations. And even if they aren't doing what we want them to do, we can do our best to make the situation better, not worse. So today we are continuing in this series called Hidden Figures, highlighting women leaders in scripture, women who were leading in difficult times, women who were leading against the opposing views of those around them. Now we're highlighting these, these women leaders in scripture because most women in scripture are noticed because of their relation to the men around them. Either they're married to a great man or they're a mother to a great one. But there are also these, these women, these hidden figures in scripture, women who are influential, leading, prophesying, judging, not because there are no men around to do the job, but because they are called and gifted and obedient to God. So this morning we look at Deborah. Now I love history. Um, I love looking at the full context of everything that's going on and why we're here and what got us here. So my tendency is to tell the whole story leading up to Deborah so you can see the full picture of how she comes about, why she's leading the way she does, what the Hebrew people are doing and where they came from. But we don't have time for that today. So if you want to, and if you like history as much as I do, I would recommend reading from at least the end of Deuteronomy, because um, we know the Exodus story. So at least the end of Deuteronomy through the book of Joshua to the beginning of Judges. It's a lot, but it's, uh, it's like a hundred, couple hundred years between the death of Moses and uh, when we get to Deborah. But if you like history as much as I do, I encourage you to look at that. But today, we're going to skip over all that, and we're just going to hone in on Deborah. And the question we're asking for this series is, if women leaders can be an exception, why can't they be a part of the rule? Each of the women in this series have different gifts. They have different stories, but each of them is used by God to influence and to lead their communities toward God. The one thing you should know about the Hebrew people up to this point is that they're in this cyclical pattern that they can't seem to get out of. They've been here ever since um, Joshua became the leader. The cyclical pattern is not just the pattern that the Israelites were at in that point of history thousands of years ago, but it's really the story of all of us, of all of God's people throughout all of history. So here, here's the pattern. So the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. They forgot God. They worshiped the gods of the people around them. So God got angry and uh, let the, their enemies rise up against them and take, take over what they were doing. Then the people in this oppression, they cried out to God. God heard them. God raised up a leader in this book of Judges. They call him Judges. God raised up a judge to lead them. The people then were successful in overcoming their enemies, and they praised God. So they're in this cycle over and over and over again. And that's where we find Deborah. Deborah was a judge, the fourth judge in Israel. Judges were leaders. Actually, the Hebrew word for judge right there um, can also mean rule or ruler. Many of these judges were military leaders who were raised up to win a battle against one of the enemies of the Israelites or to conquer another part of the land. 
But these judges were also responsible for the political and spiritual life and institutions of the people. So the Israelites were in their cycle again when we meet Deborah in Judges chapter 4. I don't have any of the verses on the screen, but you can use the Bible tab um, or pull out your smartphone or your Bible and follow along. So this is Judges chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, now that Ehud was dead. So the Lord sold them into the hands of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. Sisera, the commander of his army, was based in Harosheth Hagogim. Yes, that's how you pronounce it. Because he had 900 chariots fitted with iron and had cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years. So they cried to the Lord for help. So they're in this cycle. Their, uh, their old judge died. They fall away, stop following God. Um, they become oppressed, and now they cry out to God. So Judges chapter 4, verse 4. Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, was leading or judging Israel at that time. Now the word here for prophetess and is this, and this is the same word that we saw last week used for Miriam, and we'll see it next week for Huldah. This is the same Hebrew word as prophet. So in Hebrew, the gender, there's a, a phrase for the gender that's added to the word. But the meaning is exactly the same. She didn't have special jobs because she was a female prophet, but it was exactly the same. It's like we say waiter or waitress. It's the same job. They do the same things, but one is male and one is female. And this is the same with prophet or prophetess. One is male, one is female. So we get to Judges chapter 4, verse 5. It says, Deborah held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites went up to her to have their disputes decided. In this cycle, the Israelites were constantly surprised by God's unexpected ways, both in how he uh, spoke over them in judgment by allowing the enemies to take over and in deliverance of how he raised someone up and saved them. Deborah, as a prophet, judge, leader that was sent to the people, she wasn't surprised by this. She wasn't surprised by any of this. Jewish tradition holds that Deborah led the people for 20 years. So she sat under the palm tree for 20 years, patiently guiding them until they were ready for God's deliverance. She was slowly working them and moving their hearts more and more towards what God had for them. And after those 20 years, after all this time, once people's hearts were, were fully turned back to God, she knew that God was ready to lead them and that it was time for the Israelites to claim the land, to go to war, so that they then could live at peace. Judges 4, 6 through 10 says, She sent for Barak, son of Abinom, from Kadesh in Naphtali, and said to him, The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, Go, Take with you 10,000 men of Naphtali and Zebulon and lead them up to Mount Tabor. I will lead Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his troops to the Kishon River and give him into your hands. Barak said to her, If you go with me, I will go. But if you don't go with me, I won't go. Certainly I will go with you, said Deborah. But because of the course you are taking, the honor will not be yours. For the Lord will deliver Sisera into the hands of a woman. So Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh. There Barak summoned Zebulon and Naphtali, and 10,000 men went up under his command. Deborah also went up with him. 
So Deborah, unlike some of the other judges, was not a military judge. She was more an arbitrator, so she would help people with their disputes. So as any good leader would do, she brought people alongside her that had the gifts that she needed to lead the people. Barak was a famous Israelite military leader, and she knew that he could lead the battle. Just as the word for prophet, prophetess that we talked about earlier shows that Deborah was on the same equal playing field with her male colleagues, this scene with Barak also shows that. That he did not only think that she was competent and clearly called by God, but he was fully willing to submit to her in this regard. We see this, this is important for, for a number of reasons. And there's a 19th century Jewish poet who, who said that in Deborah's day, and I add in Miriam's day and Huldah's day, that women must have been treated with equal esteem as men. This story we read about Deborah is clear that her leadership was not questioned, but welcomed by all people, by the people who came to her to help with their disputes, also by Barak, who was willing to to submit to her, to follow her, and to stay with her in battle. So during this whole exchange with Deborah and Barak, it's such an interesting exchange. The tone of the text suggests that Barak, he trusts Deborah, but he's not so sure about the success of this. He knows that Deborah has divine inspiration and he's willing to follow her, but he's still a little hesitant. He's not so sure that these Israelite foot soldiers can compete against the Canaanite warriors. The Canaanites had all of the modern technology. Um, this, This scene that we're in is the beginning of the Iron Age. And so the Canaanites, they had great iron, um, like, they were like tanks almost today. So they would have these chariots and they would put all this iron um, shields around the tanks and the chariots would just march into battle and just like crush through everyone. But we get to this scene here next and it's, it's told about in Judges chapter five in the poem that they, they write about this, that there's this great torrential downpour and the chariots get stuck in the mud. They can't go anywhere. So they now don't have the upper hand anymore. Now these foot soldiers who know how to fight battle hand to hand now are able to take over. So here's Judges chapter 4, 14 through 16. Then Deborah, after this great torrential downpour, said to Barak, go, this is the day the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? So Barak went down Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. At Barak's advance, the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and army by the sword. And Sisera Sisera got down from his chariot and fled on foot. Barak pursued the chariots and army as far as Hersheth Hagium, and all Sisera's troops fell by the sword. Not a man was left. So the story continues, and I encourage you to read the rest of it, but the story continues that after this, knowing that the battle was over and that they had lost, Sisera ran away into the tent of a woman named Yael, thinking that she was his ally. Well, she wasn't. She was on the side of the Israelites, and she killed him rather graphically that I don't want to go into. And after, and Deborah's prophecy came true, that the war would be won at the hands of a woman. Now, Deborah... Deborah was a leader. She created a movement, turning people's hearts back to God. Before her, the people had turned from God, and she knew that the people would not be successful against their enemies until their hearts were turned back toward God. 
So she sat under that palm tree and held court. She listened to their disagreements and gave them wisdom for their situations. Also, according to Jewish tradition, it took her about 20 years to turn their hearts toward God. Once they were ready, she sent for the army commander. The people were ready to live at peace. So a couple things about Deborah's leadership. She was humble but authoritative. She knew where her wisdom came from. As a prophet, she had divine inspiration. She was not one that led the people for her own uh, agenda or for her own ego, but she was one who led the people for the glory of God and for the peace of the Hebrew people. Another thing, she knew that the battle was not just for battle's sake, but the battle was for the sake of peace. She was able to make short-term decisions for their long-term success. She was not war-hungry, but ready for peace, and the people were ready for her to lead them to peace. This is leadership. War is hard on people. It's not something that should be entered lightly, but Deborah, after knowing the oppression of her people, seeing them come back to God, she knew that God would be with them, not for the sake of war again, but for the sake of peace. And she also, as a leader, chose the right people with her to lead. She chose Barak and Yael, people she could trust and people that trusted her leadership. The last verse of Judges 5, after this great poem about all of this battle, the last verse goes back to narrative and it says, Then the land had peace for 40 years. Because of Deborah, because of her leadership, her divine inspiration, and her faithfulness, another generation was able to live at peace and in God's favor. Deborah was a great leader for the people in a time that was difficult. So what can we as people, some of us are followers, some of us have influence, what can we learn from her story? So I'm going to talk to the guys real quick. So men, I'm sitting in a room full of men right now. Men, what can you learn from this story? One thing that I just, you know, bring to the table is that when you don't feel confident in leading, when you might not know the right direction, when there is a woman around who does feel confident, who who knows what to do, who sees the vision, step back and let her lead. Let her lead, follow her and listen to her and encourage those around you to do the same thing. So men, Take, take Brock's, take what he learned in this situation, take his example, um, step back, let, let the women around you lead when they are able. Women, now I'm going to talk to all of you, there are none in this room with me, but I'm going to talk to all of you out there. Whether you are leading or not, the one thing that Deborah does in this that is so beautiful is that she chooses Yale, she finds her, and she convinces her and empowers her, equips her to be a part of this. So whether you're leading or not, empower the women around you. Encourage them, point out, and lift up their gifts and strengths. If you are leading or you have influence in your, in your sphere, don't go it alone. Allow those who have gifts, whether men or women around you, who have the gifts you lack, Let them be a part of the team for the benefit of the kingdom. When we're able to do this, when we're able to see the gifts of those around us step back when we need to, step up when we're called, 
that is when the kingdom of God will be fully present here in our midst. A part of this series, which I'm so excited about, is hearing from a few of my colleagues about influential women in their lives and in their ministry. Um, so today, we get to hear from Jason Wellman. He's the pastor at Scioto Ridge, and I'm at this church in Hilliard. And I'm excited to hear from him. He's going to share about Susanna Wesley, about a woman who was able to, to step up when she was called and, and, the, and able to influence those around her as well. So let's hear from Jason now. Hello, Central City Church. Uh, my name is Jason. I'm privileged to serve at Cider Ridge United Methodist Church, not too far from you uh, in Hilliard. We're actually the, the place where you park your church trailer. And so I want you to know that uh, every time I, I peek into the back parking lot and I see uh, your trailer, I, I pray for you. I pray that God continues to bless the, the very important and holy work uh, that you all are a part of. I'm very privileged to share a little bit about uh, a, a woman who has formed my own thinking, uh, one that I actually go back to and continue to read some of, of her stuff, uh, one that has had a direct impact on, on myself and you, my congregation and your congregation, uh, and that is Susanna Wesley, the mother of John Wesley, uh, the founder of our Methodist tradition. Now, Susanna, like uh, many women in her day in the, in the late 1600s and 1700s, hundreds, uh, was born into an era in which women were not educated or they were undereducated. Their education would only get them to about a sixth grade level. But fortunately, Susanna had a father who valued education and encouraged her to learn to read and to write. Uh, unfortunately, she would not have been allowed to go to a university, but her father, a Presbyterian minister, gave her access to his theological library. And so she was self-taught in theology. And then when she eventually married her husband Samuel, another minister in the Anglican tradition, uh, she would have had access to his theological library, which we know was very vast. And so she taught herself theology, and that impacted her understanding of who she was as a woman of God. It impacted her understanding of what her role was as a mother. Perhaps one of the greatest impacts she had was in that role as a mother. Uh, unfortunately, uh, she lost nine children to death. She had 19 children uh, throughout her, her life, and she took it upon herself to educate uh, and, and train up her children in the faith. And so she taught at home instead of them send, uh, sending them to school. And the education they received was vast, both the boys and the girls. She taught them writing and reading and math and science and medicine, made them read, philosophers. And so her children were very educated. But Susanna took it even further, taking it upon herself to be their preacher and their teacher. And so even though she had a large family, she made sure that once a week, she had one hour of direct one-on-one -on -one theological training with her children. And certainly, this would have been impactful on John and Charles, uh, the, the, the founders of our tradition. Now, there's a, there's a great story of Susanna that I, I think um, it really speaks to who she was and her personality uh, and this sacred call that God had placed upon her life. 
Her husband, Samuel, the, the local uh, town preacher, uh, he would often have to travel to London, and so he would be gone for a large amount of time. And when he was gone, his associate pastor, a man by the name of Inman, would preach. And he was a very dull preacher. And so Susanna would notice that her own children were not engaged in the messages that he was preaching. She noticed that many people would stop attending church when Inman was preaching. And so she took it upon herself uh, initially just to, to teach her children. On Sunday afternoons, she would preach to her children. And people in the community caught word of this. If within a couple of weeks, her house was full of parishioners listening to her preach. So much so that, that the, the pews of the church started to empty. Well, Inman, when he finally figured out why people were not coming to church, that instead they were going to Susanna's house, the rectory, the, uh, the house where the preachers lived, uh, she wrote, or he wrote to Samuel, and he was very upset, and he said, you need to stop your wife from preaching. Well, Samuel wrote a very strongly worded letter to Susanna, in essence trying to put her in her place, reminding her it was not proper or customary for a woman to preach. Well, of course, uh, Susanna, who had a strong will and a strong mind, wrote a very strongly worded letter to, to Samuel. And I want to read you just a portion of the letter, her response to her husband, Samuel. She wrote, If you do, after all, think fit to dissolve this assembly, do not tell me that you desire me to do it, for that will not satisfy my conscience. But send me your positive command in such full and express terms as may absolve me from guilt and punishment for neglecting this opportunity of doing good, when you and I shall appear before the great and awful tribunal of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, needless to say, uh, Samuel did not uh, respond the way that she had said, and Susanna continued to preach and teach in her home, instructing uh, the majority of the community in the faith. This certainly would have had an impact on John. Uh, John, who began a movement that really was largely built upon gatherings in homes, smaller groups that met in homes. He saw that modeled by his own mother. What's so fascinating, too, about Susanna and John's relationship is that John saw his mother as a theological equal and companion. Much of what we know of Susanna was actually uh, recorded in the letters that were exchanged between she and John over the lifetime of John's ministry. When John would wrestle with a question, wanted to understand what he ought to be doing, he often would write his mother or he would travel back home and sit with his mother as she guided him and taught him. And she would engage with him and challenge him. And we can see direct connections of things that John wrote or taught about were directly connected to the things that his mother said to him or wrote to him. She was a theological giant in her day in an era in which women were not to be educated or were undereducated in a time when women could not preach and teach. When she passed away, John called her something that really no other woman would have had this, this title in that era. He called her a preacher of righteousness. And that is certainly what she was. 
She preached and taught her own children, taking it upon herself to guide them and form them even amongst the busyness of, of running a household. She educated her own self. She had a deep and abundant prayer life. Uh, we, have, we have stories recorded that, that Susanna would take her, her apron and sit in the kitchen and she would throw it over her head. And when her apron was over her head, all her children knew uh, that they were not to disrupt her. Uh, she was in prayer during those times. It was her proverbial prayer closet, kind of closing herself off to the ways of the world to really focus her attention and disposition toward God. And, and that shaped her thinking, that shaped her understanding of who she is uh, or was as a child of God. Well, I, I believe, uh, and again, I'm so grateful that you're in the midst of a sermon series highlighting uh, the hidden figures, uh, women figures of our faith, and highlighting women throughout history uh, who, have, who have stepped outside of the boundaries of society, the boundaries of even the church, to teach and preach and share the good news. Uh, we need more women in the church. We need more women in the church to rise up, to own that call that God has placed upon their lives to be the Mary Magdalene's, the evangelists at the tomb, to be the preachers and teachers of the faith, passing on the faith uh, to, to whomever will gather and listen. And so I want to encourage you, uh, if, if, you are, if you are hearing that call, to not silence it. To not let anybody or any system tell you that that call is not legitimate. I would encourage you to reach out to Pastor Alyssa uh, and Pastor Joe and sit with them in that call and allow them to shape you, inform you, and release you uh, to great ministry. So I think we all have a lot to learn from Susanna, a woman who is deep in her own faith, a woman who stepped outside of the boundaries that had been set for her, and a woman who passed on the faith and shaped the thinking of our, the founder of our tradition, John Wesley. So thank you for spending time with me. Uh, I, I look forward to continuing to listen to the sermons uh, of, of highlighting these strong women of the faith. God bless you.